uh, turn with us in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to look for our reading, we're going to look in verses 12 and 13. Um, 12 and 13 in John 8. I'm reading today again out of the New American Standard Bible. As you're turning there, I read an illustration this week that a pastor shared concerning darkness and light. He shared every once in a while that they would get a bird inside their sanctuary. Uh, He doesn't really want to be there. But he's trapped there. They don't really want the bird in there because it's messy and disruptive in worship. But they figured out how to get this bird out of this huge auditorium that this church has. Now what they don't do is try to poison the bird. They don't have one of their hunters come in and try to shoot and kill the bird. They're not interested in destroying the bird. They're interested in releasing the bird. Many of you will remember, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, this summer, maybe a year ago, we had a bird trapped in in the family life centers we were trying to eat. <laughs> uh, it can be a little a little uncomfortable. However, we weren't trying to kill the bird. What they found was the solution to getting the bird out of the room was very simple. They would turn the lights out completely. It would be pitch black in the auditorium. But then they would turn one light on in an entrance way out of the auditorium. They're at an exit out of the auditorium. And instinctively, the bird would fly to the light. It sounds simple, doesn't it? You know, we're all trapped in the darkness of sin. We all were at one time trapped in the darkness. But Jesus came as the mighty God to illuminate the way to salvation. And if you don't come to him, God loves you so much that he may allow the darkness around you to increase so that the light will look brighter. You know, the darker the room, the brighter a light right outside of the room becomes. And God just may allow that to happen in your life. You know, we face a lot of things in this life. And I would say that no one wants it to get any darker than what it already gets in your life but if we continually reject Jesus we may find that our life gets a lot of dark a lot darker I would go as far as to say this if you leave this world without Jesus the darkness that will overtake you is greater than what you could ever imagine There are people in this world who are foolish and say, well, I'll just rule hell when I get there. No, you won't because you won't see a thing. You'll just feel the evil all around you. 
And then there is a lake of fire. And in that lake of fire is nothing but the presence of evil and a fire that will never be quenched. Look with me in today's text. In John 8, 12 and 13, the Bible says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself and your testimony is not true. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would move and minister in this congregation today. Help us, God. To see your word for the truth that it is. And God help us to apply it to our lives. So that we live it in this dark world. God we don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So help us God to look to your word. So our minds can be renewed. And God we'll praise you for what you accomplish. Speak to hearts that don't know you. Who are far from you today. Convict them God. Help them to see their need for a savior. Reveal to them Jesus as the Savior of the world and the lover of men. Oh, God, move and minister according to your will, and we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. What leads up to this text today is a very familiar narrative, one that most of us really know know about most of us have studied this narrative that we find in the first 11 verses this is a narrative that where Jesus is at the Mount of Olives and and early in the morning he went to a temple area when the people noticed him they began to gather around him and he began to teach whenever there was a group that would gather around Jesus he he took the opportunity to teach the truth of God's word while he was teaching the scribes and Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They threw her at the center of the courtyard and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Let me point this out before we go any further. Make sure, I, I want to make sure we don't miss this. The scribes and Pharisees had no concern whatsoever in this moment of the sin of adultery. In fact, Deuteronomy says in 22 and 22, If a man be found sleeping with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who slept with the woman and the woman, so you shall eliminate the evil from Israel. With these so-called religious leaders only bringing the woman to humiliate her, it proves that she was no more than an instrument for these men to use to attempt to trap Jesus. These men were willing to use, abuse, and to destroy a woman just to prove their unbelief of Jesus being Israel's Messiah sent by God. 
These scribes and Pharisees, they persisted. They continued on. In other words, they would not stop questioning Jesus. They were relentless and unwavering in their attempt to prove Jesus to be a fraud. Let me ask while we're here, have you ever, or have you ever encountered anyone who, or have you ever tried to ignore someone? Someone who kept bothering you someone who kept asking someone who just wouldn't leave you alone someone who wouldn't just get the hint and go away but they continued and didn't care what you thought I mean you were going to answer them or they were not going to stop now if you have children you know what I'm talking about because and if you've got children and they haven't got to the age where all they do is ask why why? 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 Just hold on. Let them keep growing. Keep feeding them. Keep protecting them. Let them get a little bit older and you're going to find out real quick just how inquisitive that child is. <laughs> Jesus, here he is. They're relentless. He stooped down and just riding in the ground. It's almost as if, why don't y'all just go away? But they weren't going away. And he knew they weren't going to let up. So he looked at them and said, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he just began riding again in the dirt. Now, there are a lot of people who have... A lot of theories on what he may have been writing. Some have said maybe he was writing their sin out. Or maybe he was writing out their names who had been with this woman. There's all sorts of theories out there. You know what? It doesn't matter what he was writing. It really doesn't. What we know is that he was writing with his finger in the sand. He spoke to them and their hearts were pierced. From the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stone and they started walking away. Jesus looks up to the woman when they're all gone and says, where are they? Did, did no one condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus replied, I did not condemn you either. Go. From now on, do not sin any longer. Here, Jesus flips the light of truth on this situation. What he exposed here is that we are all flawed. He exposed here that we're all sinful, that we are all on level ground when it comes to sin, that we are all in desperate need of grace and we're in desperate need of mercy. We're all in the desperate need of love. And, and he exposed this truth uh, to all who were around him. And they, what he exposes here is that we have no right to judge anyone's worth. We have no right to judge whether someone should be extended grace and mercy. We have no right to condemn anyone. Only Jesus has that right. John 5 and 22 says, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. No one has the right to judge me, to condemn me. No one has a right to condemn you, but Jesus. I know what's going, what you're thinking. 
Well, we know a tree by the fruit it bears. Well, we can watch people and we can observe whether or not we need to spend time around them. Well, preacher, where's that in the Bible? Well, the Bible tells us that if someone professes to be a believer and they're doing sinful acts and refuses to repent of the sinful acts, to stay away from them, to just leave them alone. Let them go on with what they're doing and God will deal with them. But he doesn't tell us to condemn them. We don't have the right. Only Jesus has the right to condemn them. Why he's, the reason he tells us to stay away from them is because we don't want that influence to affect us. Here in this text, what we see as Jesus here has exposed these Men, He's shed light upon these men. What we realize here is that true disciples remember what it is like to walk in darkness. Have you ever been around someone who is so heavenly minded they're just no earthly good? <laughs> what I mean is they, they look at you and they look down their spiritual nose at people and they, they see them as being uh, something wrong with them because they, 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 they've done something that they wouldn't dare do. When we're all in sin, we're all born in, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We all have this problem with sin as long as we're alive here on earth and, and without the grace of God all of us would be on our way to a demon's hell but there are some who seem to forget that isn't there there's some who forget seem to forget that they were lost and they were undone and, and they had no hope until Jesus came into their lives but a true disciple won't forget this you know the Greek word for darkness it, it's used to describe both the state of man and the works of man the darkness of a man is, is very real in Scripture. This darkness Jesus is speaking of here in John 8 and 12 refers to man not knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Men who walk in darkness are in the dark about who Jesus Christ really is. They are in the dark about the revelation of God uh, seen in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are in the dark about the real, the real purpose that God has for us here in this life. When in darkness man stumbles and they flounder around in this world, they, they, man knows nothing other than the things of this world. And even in that, what they know is just not really clear to them. Man's only hope while living in darkness is to live a long life before death overtakes them. That's the only hope man has when they're in darkness. And a true disciple remembers what it's like to live his life walking in darkness. You know, in, in the Apostle Paul's letter to Galatia, the Apostle found the Galatian believers were spiritually immature. They had allowed false teachers to come in and to distort the truth of the gospel. And in Paul's defense of the truth of the gospel, he recalls when he walked in darkness. He states, for you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and, and try to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. 
the apostle Paul was not proud of his past. As a matter of fact, he said he pressed toward the mark of the high calling, leaving those things, uh, those former things behind him, but he never forgot those things. There's a difference in leaving them where they're at and forgetting them. He remembered his past. He remembered what it was like to walk in darkness. His remembering of his past kept him focused on glorifying God as he walked in the newness of life. And folks, when we have been delivered from the power of darkness and we begin to walk in the light of Christ, we cannot forget where we came from. We should not boast about our, our past sinful lives, but we should remember that we... That, so we should remember what we were like so that we can extend the same grace and the same mercy that God extended to us. There are too many pharisaical believers who have forgotten where they come from. They have forgotten that they too were at one time without Christ. There was a time when they too did not know the revelation of, of God in the life of Jesus Christ. There was a time when they too had no clue of what God's purpose for them was in this life. And when we look at others who are walking in darkness with no compassion, with no brokenness, with no desire to help them to see that they can be free from darkness and, and they can walk in a new life, then perhaps we're still walking in darkness ourselves. 1 John 3 and 17 says, But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God re remain in him? Philippians 2, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out at your own personal interests, but also look for the interest of others. A true disciple, he remembers, she remembers where they come from. They remember how much they needed grace and mercy, how much they need strength and love. They remember they were on their way to a demon's hell. And through God's marvelous grace, he pulled them out of the miry pit and set them on a solid rock. The disciples, true disciples, also recognize what it's like to walk in the light. Jesus makes a claim here in this verse, a strong claim. Some writers would say it was a great claim. He says, I am the light of the world. This is emphatic. It, it's an emphatic claim that when Jesus says, I am, he's revealing to those who are listening that he is the Messiah. <laughs> he's the Holy One from God. How do you know that preacher? Well, I remember reading where Moses asked God, who do I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. Jesus is saying here, I am the light of the world. In other words, he said, I'm the God you're looking for, and I'm the only one that can shed light on your issues. 
Because Jesus is the Messiah, he follows, he who follows, he, he, because he's the Messiah, he follows it up by saying, I am the light of the world. And he follows this up with a promise. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, a man does not possess light, not within himself. By nature, men, women, boys and girls, we're in darkness. By nature, we are just dark. We're cold. We're calculated. As a matter of fact, as believers right now, we can't even trust our heart. It's so dark. It's only after placing faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and following him that man is delivered from darkness. Now, don't miss the truth that man is delivered out of darkness by following Jesus Christ. The word following here, it suggests a continuous action. It doesn't suggest, well, I followed Christ for a while. Or I followed him a few years ago. This suggests that it is continuous, that, they, that we're continuing to follow him in order to have the light of Christ shining in our lives. <laughs> it's to our benefit to understand that Jesus used the phrase light of life. He's saying here that the meaning, the purpose, the significance of life cannot be seen or known apart from following Jesus. In... <laughs> In Jesus, what we find is he throws light, the light of life upon us, revealing what life really is. Now, to help us with this text, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the light of the world at this great feast of the tabernacles. In John 72, we see that now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths were near, or the feast of tabernacles were near. The feast of tabernacles or booths was a, was a harvest festival. It was somewhat of a Jewish thanksgiving. It was observed at harvest time, giving thanks to God for all that he had given them. For the Jews, it was a time to recognize God's protection and God's provision during their wilderness journey. As a matter of fact, this was instituted in Leviticus 23 and 40 where he says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy greens and, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. The branches from the palm trees were used to build the booths and also to rejoice before the Lord. The Feast of Tabernacles was an eight-day-long feast. For seven days they were rejoicing and they were celebrating but on the eighth day it was a solemn assembly. In other words it was a it was almost a Sabbath for them on this eighth day. The very first ceremony of the feast of, uh, of the feast it holds great significance to this text because, because it's called the illumination of the temple. It was held in the court of the women. The center of the court was surrounded 
by large sections of stadium, stadium light seats. Huge, four huge lampstands stood in, in, in the open space of the court. And when darkness fell, they would light the, the lampstands. And when they lit the lampstands, the, the lampstands, the elders danced and led the people in singing psalms before the Lord all night. You know, there are churches that would not let these elders in their churches because they danced before the Lord. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You sit there. The elders danced and led the people to dance before the Lord as they sang hymns. As they sang psalms before him, the brilliant glow from these burning flames, they would, they would be so bright that they, you could see the whole city just from these four lampstands in the darkness. It was against this background that Jesus cries out, I'm the light of the world. If these four lampstands in the midst of night could light up a whole city. What can Jesus do when he's in the life of his believers all across this world? You know, we call it a cold, dark world. I, I believe if the light of Christ is shining bright in every believer, then this world would no longer be cold and it would no longer be dark because they would not, they would see us. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus is coming back. I want to remind us, he's coming back. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what anyone else says. He's coming back. And you know what's holding him right now? Because of the light that's in the world. The church is the only reason he hasn't come yet. Because when we're out of here, when the light of God is out of this world, it's really going to get cold. And it's really going to get dark. So dark that the world won't be able to stand it. Three and a half years, it'll be tribulation. And then for the next 42 months, for the next three and a half years, this great tribulation will be so terrible that God would say, it's enough. It's enough. What would happen if he continued? The world would destroy itself. God's still in control, folks. He's still in control. You know, last week we shared that a believer is someone who believed in Jesus Christ and received him as Savior. But a disciple has taken this to a a step further. A true disciple of Jesus is, does not see him only as Savior, but Jesus is Lord of their life. And he or she is willing to follow him wherever he leads. So true disciples walk in the light of Jesus Christ. And his light is seen in his disciples. There is a light within 
that when the world sees, they see something that is different in you, something that shines bright within you. And that something is someone. He is the light of the world. The light of Christ shining in you will, review, will reveal the heart of those who are in the world who are looking at you. For some in the world, Christ's light will expose the evil intentions of their heart. On your jobs, at school, in your family, in your community, and even in the church, people will see Christ's light shine in you and they will want nothing at all to do with you. They will manipulate situations and circumstances in an effort to cast a dark cloud over the light that is in you. And I want to encourage us all that there is no power of darkness greater than the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember John 15, Jesus said this in verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they follow, if they followed my word, they will follow yours also. Boy, that ought to encourage us. For some, they're going to hate us. And the evil of their heart and intentions is going to be exposed. For some, the light of Christ shining in you will expose the darkness that they're living in. And for some, they will be humbled. And they will be convicted of their sin. And the light of Christ shining in you will draw some to desire to have the, the same light shining in their lives. For many, living in darkness becomes so heavy that they, they begin to seek light. I imagine that's, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I imagine you were there at one time. I was there at one time. It just got so heavy, I, I couldn't go on in the life that I was living. And I began to seek for light. What I'm so thankful of is that he was seeking me first. And he found me in my mess. Yeah, they're looking for hope of a better, a brighter day. And as a disciple, we must share the light that lives in us with others. How do we share the light? We share the gospel. That is the only way we can share the light of Christ. We share the gospel. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And as they make their way for this invitation, if you're here today and you feel that your life is filled with darkness, I want you to know that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. And He is the light of the world. He has the power right now to drive the darkness out of your life. He has the power to fill your life with his light. But you must be willing to believe in him. Believe he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died in your place. Believe he took upon himself your sin and your penalty for your sin. And he offers and extends eternal life to you. 
You must believe that he was placed in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he was raised from the dead. You must be willing to confess your sin to him and believe he has forgiven you. You must be willing to follow him. Are you today? As they begin to sing this song of invitation, are you today ready to follow him? Church is praying for you. Will you?